Uh, James chapter 3, uh, we're going to be in verses 1 to 12. I can't tell you how many times I heard that song. Uh, that was a, a common song in my household. My mom is probably watching. Uh, and so anyway, it's ingrained in my head uh, uh, from, from that. So anyway, uh, James chapter 3, we're going to be in verses 1 to 12. If you follow along with me, James 3, 1 to 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to also bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by a strong wind, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this scripture. We thank you for James' very blunt style um, and direct style of teaching us things that are very important to understand and apply to our lives. And Lord, I just pray for this time uh, that you would open our eyes to the significance of our words. Um, Lord, we ask the Holy Spirit to convict us and challenge us through, uh, through our days um, as the words we speak and the words we hear and say and help us know their power and respect their power and uh, use their power for your glory and your good. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> um, so, you know, lovely part of uh, exegetical preaching is that you get to preach whatever you come upon, and even if it's James kind of ranting uh, on a group of people about their speech, uh, that's what we get to get to walk through. And you know, on Thursday we were looking at this passage, and there's a few blunt statements, uh, such as you know, uh, the the what is this? Uh, the the tongue is um, set on fire by hell and is a restless evil. <laughs> Not generally the gender-caring words you like to talk about from Scripture, but very important ones for us to understand. Uh, we all know, you know, if we think about it uh, for very long, that words are very powerful. Uh, we know that because we've been hurt by words. We know that because we've hurt people with words and remember those experiences. Um, but we know it from Scripture very plainly. I mean, just think God created the world with his words. He said it, and it was done. By his words, these things are made. And so um, James 
comes into this important topic, uh, trying to confront those who are hearing his letter, that they would understand the impact of the words, because apparently there's some divisiveness, some brokenness that's happening in the community that is here. And, uh, you know, if you remember our context, uh, these people have been chased away from Jerusalem through persecution, uh, yet they have some sort of um, class system that's already been set up, some looking down upon others based on socioeconomic status. Um, And so no doubt also they have some issues with their words and James is confronting their words and saying, you have to be careful with your words. He is so blunt about this. He's he's just absolutely emphatic really uh, about it, saying at one point that the tongue cannot be tamed. That it can't be, you know, obviously he's calling us to tame it and also saying to us it cannot be tamed. So how do we reconcile that call to do something that he says can't be done? Um, He's just extravagantly saying, this is very hard, yet it needs your great attention. And so as we hear his speech and walk through his speech about the tongue, uh, yes, he's emphatic and says some very strong things. But remember, he's trying to wake us up to how powerful and important our words are so we understand their importance and take action upon them. So a few things we see about the tongue from this passage. Uh, First, the tongue is powerful. Second, the tongue is evil. Um, And finally, the tongue needs to change. So he starts out saying, not many of you should become teachers, for uh, you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone is Uh, does not stumble in what he says, he is perfect man, and also able to bridle his whole body. His point in bringing up teachers isn't to say that this whole topic is about teachers and uh, explaining those who should be teachers and those who shouldn't. He's just saying, you know, he's bringing up the topic really of speech and saying the person that seeks to be a teacher should heed that calling because as I speak words every single, you know, week, as a teacher, those words, I'm saying, okay, this is what the Lord is telling me, and I'm sharing that with you. It's a very heavy cause. And anytime we are teaching somebody else, that person is taking what you say as some sort of importance, whether it be a Bible teacher or just you know, a school teacher or whatever the type of teacher you are, the person learning is taking what you say as the most uh, important knowledge or uh, most, uh, the clearest expression of that knowledge to you. They're assuming, you're assuming, right, that uh, I'm presenting all that I know about this topic. And so there is a greater strictness to my words when I teach and to anyone's words when they teach. But he brings that up as a fact to state that teachers use words. And the truth is, those words have power. We trust those words when a teacher teaches, right? And so he's saying now to apply that to the rest of the community, we all need to know that words have power. We recognize that power in teachers, and we also need to take that understanding and apply it to our lives. And so that's when he jumps into this explanation of how very powerful, simple words can be. And uh, this is really like, a preacher's dream passage in some ways because, uh, you know, James just gives you all the illustrations you need here. 
We've got a horse. We've got a ship. We've got a fire. We've got all sorts of very clear imagery that James is giving us to wrap our minds around how powerful and important this concept is. First, if we put bits in the mouths of horses, they will obey us and we guide their whole bodies. Just imagine how tiny. I mean, literally like a bit is, I could hold it right like this size, you know. It's like the size of my thumb to my finger. That's like you put it in the horse and you make it move wherever it needs to go. He says, look at the ships also. They're so large and driven by winds, but guided by a small little rudder. So also the tongue, a small member, yet boasts of great things. We don't think about it that much because, I mean, for one, we hardly see it, right? Like, I mean, I don't ever see my tongue unless I'm brushing my teeth in the mirror, right? And so it's a very just hidden piece of my body, but it's also one of the most important. The tongue is powerful, just like a bit to a horse or a rudder to a ship. It is that powerful, so we need to recognize that. Second, as James says, um, the tongue tends toward evil. <laughs> it, it tends toward brokenness. Just as our hearts tend toward brokenness, so our tongue does as well. James explains this very emphatically, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. I mean, every fire you can think of that has occurred in California over the years, you think about the great California fires that have occurred, most of the time, it's like a cigarette butt, you know, or a spark that was lit, you know, along the side of the road or whatever it was, and it turns into a huge fire encompassing acres upon acres upon acres. James says, this is what the tongue is. It, it is a fire, a world of unrighteousness, staining our entire body in what it says, setting the entire course of life on fire and set on fire by hell. James says, it is uh, full of deadly poison. It is a restless easel, e- evil and no human being can tame it. The tongue in James' expression um, is evil and broken. We see this in our lives. I mean, there is this uh, struggle, right, that happens when we converse with each other. And like, you know, for instance, if we're on a camping trip, we've been on a camping trip recently. And if you've been on a very long camping trip, a longer one than ours, uh, you know, you get to spend time with each other and often, like, jokes start to happen. And jokes are a good thing. It's fun to know when you're joking. But when you start to get, like, tired and worn down over lots of time together in sweaty tents, uh, jokes start to morph into jabs and hurtful things. And so easily something that began as something fun and kind of funny uh, can easily turn into something that hurts. Right, guys? I know. It's going to be okay. <laughs> I, it was just one weekend for us, and we have this great tension that we cannot even share. So, <clears throat> that's not, uh, not my liberty to share, I should say. You're welcome to. Sh- anyway, okay. Um, 
so simply our words can be changed and so easily we can use them um, in, in such a poor manner. James gets at the, really the depravity of this um, in verses 9 to 12 when he compares what ought to be and what is very plainly as we see that the tongue needs to change. Verses 9 to 12, With it we bless our Lord and Father. With it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. We talked about this on Thursday, the the. Great, most, the clearest example that I think all of us can relate to very clearly is Sunday. Come here, worship the Lord, endless alleluia to our King, our Father in heaven. Jump into your car, get behind slow person, yell at them. <laughs> We've all been there, right? Immediately after our frustration with people in our world who are made in the very likeness of God. And in one moment, we're blessing our Lord and Father, and the next, we're cursing and getting angry with those who are causing friction in our lives. James says, this isn't how we ought to be. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. It it ought not be this way. Uh, Does a spring pour forth from the same opening fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. These are just absolute truths. He says it should not be that someone that has this fresh water in them is producing salt. And it cannot be that someone that is full of salt produces fresh water. And so his challenge to the believers in dispersion uh, and in persecution is to watch your words because they're powerful and they can be used as a great evil in our lives. So I've got some things to digest from this um, and, and to apply here. Two very important ones. First, Um, your words have an effect on your life. The words you say affect your life. They're, They're not neutral. They have an impact on your circumstances. We're not just speaking and not doing anything with our speaking. Our speaking actually accomplishes things. Uh, Just as James said, The tongue is set among our members, staying the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. He's using that as a negative example, right, of it can cause great destruction, but it can also cause great good. The tongue is able to set the course of your life, for better or for worse. What you speak has an impact. What you speak over yourself, what you speak to others, is actually affecting you, affecting your person, affecting uh, your soul. I'll share a very, um, you know, personal example of this. Many of you knew, and I've shared this in my testimony at various times, 
that uh, while in Boston, I went through a season of great anxiety. Like, I had actually passed out at work one time, and so from that time on, I thought, oh, I can just pass out, like, with no explanation at any time. And so for, like, years, um, and even still at times, I come into moments where it feels like, you know, the world's just going to stop. Everything's going to pop and end. And thankfully, praise to the Lord, we were going through the book of Philippians at the time and was able to really grasp (laughs) to live is Christ and to die is gain. I never was so aware of that truth than in that season when I was struggling with real anxiety about whether my life would continue or not based on my body's ability to function. And, you know, now I've grown a lot in that and facing that because I've been through so many episodes that I've realized, oh, I'm just freaking myself out unnecessarily. But I'll tell you what has been so powerful in every single one of those moments that I've faced is, uh, is not distraction, uh, not, um, not any sort of uh, medical aid of any kind, um, but truth. Right? Like, I got to the place where I was like, okay, what if I do? What if I did just pass out? What if my pass out was in front of a you know, subway train? In Boston, that's more realistic because there's subway trains. Like, what if I passed out on a platform in front of, like, life is over? right? So I had to face that question with the truth. Truth is that I love Jesus, and he loves me. And if I die, I'm with him. And had to let that sit in to my anxiety. And so now, anytime that I face, you know, moments where it just sneaks up on me, and I'm like, whoa, I'm really anxious, feel like the wall's closing in, whatever, um, I know where to stand, I stand on the word of God and I speak those words over myself and say, all right, Lord, if it be the time, then it be the time. Those words that I speak, you know, they look like words on a page and so easily we're just like, oh, these are just words, just information I need to uh, have knowledge about. But wisdom would say, apply those words to your circumstances and let them have the transforming power that they can have and set the course of your life. Give you victory over those circumstances which you face, knowing that God's word is true and can transform you, can can crush any fear or anxiety or uncertainty that you face. Words are able to set the entire course of life. In contrast, if instead of leaning into words of truth, you led, lean into uh, lies that you speak over yourself, yeah, I'm, you know, this could end and no one would care and all this. And those are lies. And they take you down a different path a path of spiraling into uh, depression and uncertainty in life. So grab on to the words of truth and life that God speaks over each and every one of us. To live is Christ. 
you're breathing, God has a reason for you now. And if you trust in Jesus, to die is gain. What a beautiful thing. Man, you can face a lot of anxiety knowing those truths and speaking those words over you, whether verbally or internally. So set the course of your life with the word of God. Your words have an effect on you. Second, tongue is powerful. And so often we use it for evil because, this is important, because your words have an effect on those you speak them to. Again, they're not, they're not neutral. There is a limit to how much we can kid one another, right? When we're joking, there is a limit. And you have to be aware of that limit. All of us know this to our parents. Our words matter. The words we're saying, our kids hear. And at a very early, early age, earlier than I ever knew, those words are repeated quickly. And our patterns in speech are repeated quickly. Our words have an effect on those we speak them to. Proverbs 12, 25. Proverbs has a lot to say about words. If you want to learn about words, you should read some Proverbs. Uh, but here's a couple. Proverbs 12, 25. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. You could be having a crummy, crummy day, thinking that nobody cares Nobody notices. Nobody sees what's going on in your life. Nobody understands you. You can be thinking those things, and very quickly you can start telling yourself those things if you're not careful. But someone, some brother, sister in Christ comes to you and just says, you know what, I appreciate you so much. I'm so thankful for, you know, uh, what you do for our church here or what you do for our body. You know how quickly that simple word, and it's so simple, and, and to you it might mean nothing. Like, it might just be like just stating the obvious, but to the person who's been wallowing through weeks of uh, depression and uncertainty and anxiety, those simple words are life and can set the life, the course of someone else's life on fire for good. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Our words of encouragement are not to be taken flippantly. They're powerful and important. It's powerful for us to speak the truth of God to one another. Because sometimes we don't have it in ourselves or haven't been given the opportunity uh, to know what truthful words to speak over ourselves when we're facing problems or difficulties. And we need a brother or sister to come along and say, you know what, the Lord loves you. Like, look at what he has done in your life. Look at how much he's poured out in your life. Look at the impact you're having on me. We need someone to come along and speak these encouraging words. And you know that only happens when we commit to being together. 
when we commit to interacting so much that we are able to see each other when we're down. You can notice, once you spend like a few weeks, of, you know, a couple months with uh, a set of people, you can start to see someone's general disposition and time. And when that shifts, it's very obvious. You, you can tell the, the, you know, the shoulders droop differently or, or maybe they go the other direction, they're happier, whatever. Like you can tell someone's disposition once you start spending time. You know, if you just interact once or twice, you might not notice it. Maybe you just assume yeah, this is someone and this is how they are, whatever. But if you spend much time with someone, you notice their pattern. You understand how they carry themselves. And when that shifts, you can see it in community. And so quickly, you can go unto one another and say, what's going on? How, how, how can I help you? How can I encourage you? How can I come alongside you? Let us not forsake meeting together, stirring each other up in love and good works. How do we do so? It's going to take our words. Words have an effect. And we need to be aware of that effect. Don't take them loosely understand them clearly and use them for God's glory. So we need to understand that our words have an effect on our lives. We need to understand that our words have an effect on the lives of others. Uh, we, finally, we need to understand that, that God has given us these words. He's given us the ability to proclaim His truth in this world. And so the challenge to us, um, if we're going to see our world set on fire in a, in a positive way, is to know, um, there is to commit to glorifying God in whatever comes out of our mouths. Singing praises to God. These words we sing, it's not just a religious routine. It's a proclamation of God's truth over ourselves, over one another, over our city. Glorify God in what comes out of your mouth. Whether in your family, whether at work, whether at church, wherever you are. Glorify God with what is coming out of your mouth. It's important for us to understand, um, I think it was Jose, you brought up on Thursday the passage, and I didn't write it down, but um, it's that which comes out of a man that makes him unclean, right? What Do you remember? Yeah, yeah I can't remember what passage it was. Matthew, something like that? Anyway, um, it's what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. Um, and so if we're going to have something, right, to share out, it turns out you got to put some stuff in. The words we put in, the, the media we put in, the music we put in, the stuff we put into ourselves is sitting there. 
ready to be expressed. Um, this is kind of a silly example of this, but I'm realizing uh, my age in relation to some of my employees recently. And so there's some cultural knowledge that like gets dropped into you just by existing, right? And, uh, and so one of my uh, coworkers came to the door the other day in the morning for his shift at the coffee shop. And he was coming to the door, so I saw him through the window back there. And I opened the door and I said, no soup for you, and closed the door. Anyone get that reference? No soup for you? How many? How many people get that reference? All right, okay. So this is from Seinfeld. There's the soup Nazi. He gets to choose who gets to have soup and who doesn't, okay? This is a cultural undertone in our world, right? Of a certain age of growing up. And so I opened the door, said no soup for you, and shut the door. And he was like, like, what in the world is that? Where did that come from? I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, oh, well, Seinfeld, right? He's like, "Mm." this is hurting my head. Um, So we all have this, right? We have these inputs into our lives that are there. uh, and, And so we have to understand that. That there's something in us that is going to come out at a moment's notice when your coworker is coming to the door. You know, like, that's going to happen. And, uh, and so we have to know that what we put in that is going to come out. If you put a lot of trash in there, you're going to have a lot of trash to choose from in those moments. If you put a lot of truth in there, well, you're going to have a lot of truth to pull from when you have those moments that come up to you. So let's glorify God in what comes out of our mouth by putting something good in, uh, by, by committing our time and, uh, and our focus uh, to make sure that we're digesting what God has given us in his word. It is powerful. Your words are not neutral. They have an impact. So don't use them flippantly. Even a spark can create a great fire. whether for good or whether for ill. So if you're joking with someone, make sure they understand that you're joking, lest you set a wrong fire into their lives. And if you recognize a moment that you could speak a very simple truth to someone because you feel like someone needs it, don't hold it back. A simple word can bring great peace to a man in anxiety. A good word makes him glad. Jesus um, Jesus came to start a movement in us, right? He came to change us. And he was careful with his words. He was absolutely intentional with them. His final words, it is finished. How good a word that is. Did he have to say that? He didn't. That's right. He didn't. But he did. It is finished. 
the sin and brokenness in your heart, because of Jesus, it is finished. The circumstances that you're facing in this life, yeah, they may be still manifesting in your current expression of time, but Christ has defeated them. It is finished. To live is Christ. To die is gain. All these things that you may suffer through into your your whole life. God has completed your suffering. He has conquered it completely. It is finished. Our world needs those final words of Jesus in this life. There's so much going on in this world that has brought up anxiety and uncertainty and confusion and and, uh, disorientation with what is happening. I am so thankful to have an eternal hope that is beyond anything temporary that we may face in this world. It is finished. I have complete hope and trust in my Savior, Jesus Christ. His word speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Glorify God with what comes out of your mouth at all times. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful for your faithfulness. We are thankful for Holy Spirit's presence here and, and just willingness to be present in um, wretched ones. God, you, you, have, you have made yourself known to us and you've taken residence inside of us because of the sacrifice of Jesus. And so we receive that and thank you for it and thank you for this time that we've had uh, to just declare to ourselves or mind ourselves that our words matter. And so God, I pray that you would help us um, help us use our words. Help us not neglect them. Help us not be flippant with them and cause great fires. And help us not withhold them when they're needed and necessary. Lord, we want to see a great fire. We want to see a fire of your love, of your goodness, of your mercy, of your glory in this place. And God, that happens when you draw together a people who love each other so much that they're willing to lay their lives down for each other, that they're willing to confront each other when things are difficult, where they're willing to sit and say, just, I'm sorry. When they're willing to listen to the words that are coming out and speak truth back in. Lord, I pray we would not neglect the power of our words and that we'd seek to change the things that are spoken by our tongues. That they not be things that tear down, but things that build up and restore one another to the place you've called us to be as children of our Father in heaven. In his name we pray.